Hi, I'm Nina Samuels, and apparently you have nothing better to do with your time, so you are listening to the Holy Shoot podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Holy Shoot Wrestling Podcast, a podcast that is all about the world of professional wrestling. On today's show, uh, it is our second episode of Heaven and Hell, but first let me introduce you to my co-host slash guest today, Jason. Good day, Brod. Good to be here again. Yes, and I am your host, Broderick Broad, um, that asshole, whatever you want to call me. Uh, how are you doing today, Jason? Yeah, not too bad. Um, you know, we're, we're in isolation mode still, but I'm trying to make it work with actually, you know, getting some exercise and mixing things up as much as I can to make it all, all okay. Um, yeah. How about you? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm trying to avoid going out as much as possible, just because you know, doing my fair share of the work. But uh, yeah, I forgot to defrost something from a freezer uh, yesterday, so I ended up going hmm. How to avoid, how to avoid going outside? I don't know Papa John's. So uh, yeah, I've been I've been a beast this past week. Uh, so hopefully back to a bit more of a normal diet as the supermarket stock up again. Yeah, I'm I'm making an effort. Like in the morning, I've been going out for a walk for about half an hour, as if I'm commuting to work. Because where I live, at least it's pretty quiet, so I can go out for a walk around the field or down the down the street and everything, and come back and not really see anyone. So I'm doing that, and then at lunch or after work, I'm going cycling or just doing some weights, just so there's movement rather than just that lethargic sat at home the whole time yeah it's kind of eh, eh, it's a new normal get used to it (laughs) that's what i'm thinking um but yeah no it gives me an excuse to catch up on stuff like uh certain old wrestling matches that we'll be discussing today um so uh with nothing that new happening in the world of professional wrestling due to the limitations being placed on us as just discussed, uh, we have decided to make it a fun zone, uh, a fun series, if you will, called Heaven and Hell. Each week, my guest, um, in which case my co-host Jason, gets to put five matches uh, to rest in heaven and five to rest in hell. The idea of heaven is that our guest gets to choose five matches that they could watch over and over and over again. Meanwhile, the idea for the five matches that go to hell are five matches they just cannot stomach the idea of rewatching because they are that bad or just really bad to the industry in their opinion. This is completely a personal choice, purely subjective and not objective, and it's in no particular order. Uh, this is not a game, so I won't be casting them to heaven or hell. It's just... Uh, our guest choice so jason without further ado uh what's your first match to go to rest in heaven please oh well, let's go in order of like age i guess so let's go to the oldest match and that would be the wwf royal rumble from 1992 Ooh, it's not fair to flare so why this royal rumble it, it makes it into your uh, to your heaven list yeah eventually okay. spout the question yeah um well it's a funny one like i think it's interesting listening to like mike last week and i think the good thing about these lists is it fully sort of shows what you were into what time you got into wrestling your age in some ways and i think a lot of my favorites are not just because they're really good matches but also the storylines that were involved and like what was going on there so i was about i think i was 10 years old when this was happening nine or ten i'm trying to work out like the order of this work i would have been like around the age where i was still really into my wrestling but it wasn't like i could get hold of wrestling all the time i didn't have sky sports for example i was relying on reading the magazines being at a friend's house or my uncle recording the big shows for me so i was also a little bit behind and it meant i was also too young at the time to probably really appreciate rick flair but as i've got older and i've gone back and watched this match so many times and hearing bobby heenan on commentary it's one of the best hours of wrestling you can watch really in terms of an all-star cast great performers a storyline just the whole package is there for me mm. Mm. yeah no i think um uh, yeah, I think this is uh, probably the best booked Royal Rumble in WWE history. Uh, would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, and I think what I love about it, it's the first Royal Rumble that really mattered. 
and they booked it to perfection in some ways. I mean, there's probably some things that we could argue about, but the way they did it was so well done because up until this, Royal Rumbles were just, let's have a baby face, normally Hulk Hogan, win a big match. There wasn't a, there wasn't like a title was on the line or a shot at the belt at WrestleMania. This was really the start of that, and it was actually for the world title. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it was... Um... I, I mean, I really love this match. I think it's one of my favourite matches from that era. I think, you know, Ric Flair is just a spectacular performer. He was the one who ultimately won this Royal Rumble match. Uh, you know, I think Sid Justice was really good in this match. I think the only thing, if I'm allowed to be critical, is just the very ending where Hulk Hogan helps out Sting. Um, I think that's the only thing that mars this Royal Rumble for me. Uh, slightly and I think it reminds a few other people as well but yeah it's 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 just that's the only sort of moment where you're like okay it's Hulk Hogan Ric Flair and Psycho Sid at the end and Hulk Hogan has the whole I'm shaking hand but actually I'm going to pull you over the top and that's not a very baby a face thing to do because he ends up pulling Sid out as Ric Flair pushes him over and Ric Flair wins it definitely makes sense from the Ric Flair character but that one moment of Hulk Hogan doing that is the only real time he ever showed like serious bad sportsmanship in that whole babyface run. So that's the one moment that sort of like maybe doesn't make it perfect. But for me, when you look at the overall booking bit, everything from the start, you know, with was it DiBiase and Bulldog as number one and two, and then mm. you know, and then Flair coming out in number as number three and going for the sixty minutes, and Bobby Heenan talking through all the storylines and feuds of all the men who were in the ring, such as the moment with Rowdy Roddy Piper that happened. You know, there's oh, yeah. some great stuff that happens throughout the entire Rumble. It's it's booked, the whole thing is about Ric Flair, but it's booked all the way along, where some Rumbles can be, can feel like there's that they, they fall apart or slow down at certain points. This one just keeps going, and it's almost star-studded because it, was, it meant something. It was for the belt, so they put all the big guys in there for the match. Yeah, I think it, I think it was... Um... A brilliant rumble and i think that's the other thing that's kind of overlooked is the fact it's star studded there's a part of me that just wanted a fancy book re fancy book the 92 royal rumble just in my head when he said dibiase and i was like wouldn't it be cool if dibiase just bought his way to the number 30 spot and that would have been a storyline yeah, uh, well, anyway. they did it in the previous rumble right was it did he get 30 or 29 or something he definitely bought a late spot oh, oh, that, ah. that was maybe that i was didn't 90. know that yeah go back uh, to no, 90 I, or 91 i was to be honest, 92 is the earliest Rumble that I've ever watched because yeah. the first four are just a bit pointless by comparison. No offence to any of the guys that were in that ring um, sacrificing their bodies. But yeah, no, I think the 92 Rumble is just... Yeah, I absolutely adore it. Um, such um, such an old-school vibe, but there was a lot of hard work in there as well. And Bobby Heenan's commentary, let's talk about that as well. Yeah, I mean, like just the stuff he the jokes he's like you know the things when he the Roddy Roddy Piper stuff he does where he's like he's complaining about Roddy Roddy Piper then he sucks up to him and says it's not it's not a skirt it's a kilt then he changes his mind Bobby Heenan's insulting the dumb baby faces you know he's just cheering Ric Flair on the entire match I know he's he's he's, he's just he's probably the best commentator in WWE history I, I do I do wonder if the match would be as good without Bobby Heenan I mean, it's, it is the overall package of Bobby Heenan and Ric Flair together, I think, that makes it as an example of what a commentator can do and why commentary does actually matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I fully agree. Um, so let's move on to our first hell match or your first hell match. What is it, Jason? Um I'm just. Talking, I'm going to start with one which I just hate, which was, and just because we're talking about commentators, let's do this one. Jerry Lawler versus Michael Cole from WrestleMania 27. Oh, this match was bad. <laughs> so, so explain, Jason, why this I'll, match is really bad. I, I, I've gone back and watched some of the sort of stuff on my list, but I couldn't go back and watch this. I just wasn't going to do that to myself. Um, this match goes on for, what, about three hours, I think, in terms of, like, three hours longer than it needs to because it's ultimately a feud between two commentators which are in a time i hated what they did to michael cole during this time period where he was like this evil mid fan who was just insulting everyone they were trying to make him a heel and it just wasn't working i just found it annoying not interesting and jerry lawler finally gets a wrestlemania match he's never had one in his entire career and he's in there with michael cole and they've done a convoluted storyline to get there and they have it's like a really long match which is just 
terribly booked and Michael Cole ends up you know, being on offense because he's got Jack Swagger or someone helping him. And it just goes on and on and on. And I think the crowd, like they lose the crowd. No one cares. They're just like, OK, we get what you want Jerry Lawler to have his moment. But it's just so dull and you just want it to finish. And you don't expect that on a Mania card. Yeah, it's not the first time Steve Austin special refereed a match in WrestleMania that has been absolutely uh, oh, yeah. dire. Um, yeah, I think so. The first two minutes of this match starts off very well with Jerry Lawler's head. Uh, sorry, Michael Cole's head being rammed into the coal mine. <laughs> I thought that was actually like pretty funny, at least visually. And the one thing I will say about heel Michael Cole, he was good at being a heel. It's just a problem is you just don't want that with your uh, play-by-play guy. Uh, it just doesn't work. It's never worked in the history of professional wrestling. So, I mean, Jim Ross couldn't do it. So I'm not sure why on earth they wanted to do that with Michael Cole. It was just painful, like, yeah, his commentary during that time. And, I mean, I I wouldn't have minded this match. Like, if they'd done, like you said, the two minutes at the start and then wrapped it up within five minutes, that's mm. all you need to do. When you've got a manager or a commentator in the ring against a wrestler, that's all it should be. I don't know what the thinking was for beyond that because it's just so dull, though. It's just, like, it's just this really slow, methodical, they're covering for the back, Michael Cole can't wrestle. And it just, yeah, it's it's the least enjoyable match I've ever seen on a WrestleMania show. Damn, that's uh, that's quite something. I think the worst thing is it's just like they they have like everyone celebrate at the end, and it goes on and on and on and on, and then you're just waiting for it. You're just waiting for it, and then the anonymous Raw general manager chimes in. And reverses decision, yeah. and Michael Cole is undefeated at WrestleMania. And I mean, what did that add? Why was that needed? You know, I don't to, understand that. I think it was there to extend the feud and Michael Cole to be even bigger heel, and it just doesn't work. Uh, I, even Vince McMahon said afterwards that was the biggest pile of crap I have ever seen, yeah. and that's from multiple sources. Yeah, I have no idea what the hell they were thinking with this match. It it deserves to go to hell, and I just don't want to be reminded of any further trauma. And I think the one good, the one thing I like, at least they got out of this a little bit earlier in some ways, an unfortunate situation because of what happened to Jerry Lawler on commentary later on, and Marco Cole pretty much helping to save his life, and they realised, yeah, we can never really do that heel thing with Michael Cole again. So at yeah. least in that they never went back to it. I I remember um I I remember watching that episode live because I was a student and uh, I usually had nothing on Tuesday mornings or Tuesday afternoons for that matter that was worth anything and um, yeah I just I remember being an absolute shock and that was like one of the few times you realised oh yeah Michael Cole's actually really good at commentary you just don't get to hear it very often and I think that's the real sad thing about you know not just his heel turn yeah absolutely like early Smackdown stuff very good commentary yeah. anyway um, let's move on to another hell match and then we'll flip it to heaven again uh, what, what's the second one you want to induct into your personal wrestling hell Jason um, let's do let's stay on the Wrestlemania theme and let's go to something actually we both watched this recently Chris Jericho versus Triple H from Wrestlemania 18 this is interesting because it's not a bad match per se but why is this in your wrestling hell yeah i think um it's one of those things where um i was looking at my favorite heaven and hells and some, a lot of it was the overall storyline leading into the match and afterward but i found like some of them some of the ones in my heaven list are based on the overall storyline and everything around it as well which made me enjoy the matches even more when i look at this one it ties into that i was a huge chris jericho fan um, and I loved what they'd made in the Undisputed Champion, um, which he'd won several months before. I accepted he was doing the, the kind of the conniving, sneaky heel routine instead to keep hold of the belt. Um, I didn't like what they then did in terms of they put Stephanie McMahon with Chris Jericho. And Chris Jericho went from being this like main event champion 
to Stephanie McMahon's bitch who basically drove her around and helped walk her dog. And it all became about Triple H coming back at the Royal Rumble, winning it and setting up this this match. And this was also the period of time where Triple H was, I think this is a few years where Triple H did it is worse, where he's the ultimate dominant man that beats everyone and has these slow, methodical matches. So, I mean, the match is okay on itself, but it's also probably the one of the most disappointing main events ever due to what it had to follow. So when you're looking at the lead into the show, I didn't like what they did there. They then had it go on the main event after much better matches. And then afterwards, Triple H very quickly turned heel again and they just started passing the world title around for the rest of the year. It was a time when WWE or WWE at the time clearly was lost for a little while because they you know wcw didn't exist anymore they'd done the invasion angle and they were just in this muddy period of time where they didn't quite know what to do and they were just changing things a lot without really finding traction so it's all of that combined along with the fact that triple h of course wins this match and chris jericho is just made to look pretty weak yeah i think um there's yet another storyline involving mcmahon's i mean okay triple h wasn't Technically, I'm at man at this point, um, but yeah, it's uh, the future son-in-law and the daughter of Vince uh, are the main focal points of the storyline. Chris Jericho is this cut character. Um, I think that's what's really disappointing for like a world heavyweight championship, uh, an undisputed championship match, should I say, um, and following on from Rock Hogan as well. I think it just made it even worse. And uh, you're right, Jason. This is a pre. This Triple H is a precursor uh, for the worst that is yet to come when the brand split happens and the reign of terror, uh, where he doesn't really put over many superstars in his time. And even the ones he does, like, say, Benoit, oh, um, even then, Triple H and Shawn Michaels overshadowed him in that main event yeah. scene. Even that, Eugene but, overshadowed Benoit at that time. Yeah, and it's annoying because Chris Jericho, I mean, he's reinvented himself so many times. And mm. I loved, you know, I was a fan of, like, you know, we're talking late 90s, Jericho is a heel and then a baby face, just this, like, brash almost like you know quite loud character that he then amplified more recently and i didn't have a problem with him being a heel but they took they stripped all of that away from him and just made him yeah like they just this just like stephanie's little man but triple h was clearly going to be no one thought jericho was going to win this main event there was no there's a single person that thought that might happen you all saw the writing on the wall yeah, I think it I think it's an extension of a predictable tribe superstar returns at the Royal Rumble, wins the championship as well. So there's a victim of that. But yeah, I mean, Jericho, when you really look at it between 2002 and 2005, sure, he had some good mid-card storylines, but he looked worse from it. And then, you know, I'm going to rant on about Triple H, Reign of Terror now. But, you know, Booker T went back to the mid-card, went into a tag team with Rob Van Dam and just, oh dear, um, took him ages to get to the world title scene. Rob Van Dam, another person, Triple H buried, went into the mid-card for a while and then finally became WWE champion four years later. Uh, Scott Steiner, uh, partly his own doing. Uh, Goldberg, an extra month and killing all momentum. You know, loads of people Triple H buried in that time, and Jericho, I think, was the first of many in that era. And it took many years before Jericho was then considered a main event wrestler who they would put a world title on. It took many, he became the Intercontinental Champion Specialist, I think, for many years. Yep. And just never got back to that level, which was just that's partly why i think it's in my hell it's just the whole oh you could have had something here and you've not done it and it just it annoys me it frustrates me so much yeah he took a break for a while uh with fozzy between 2005 and 2007 i think and uh he came back save us y2j and it took nearly a year for him to become crown world champion so it yeah about six and a half years i think it took yeah took for them to recrown him a world champion which is ridiculous considering the talent of the man yeah it's a it's a shame it's a, it's a big jericho fan mm. i was like yeah that's that's mainly why it's on here because i think they just did a real disservice to him and yeah it's the it's triple h has his good points right but this is the start mm. 
early days of, oh God, we're going to go through Super Triple H, aren't we? Yeah, I, I will hasten to add after the Reign of Terror, I, I think Triple H actually improves a lot. He does put people over like Batista, like John Cena. Um, so there is that when when that Reign of Terror ends, Triple H. And, and even his matches improve because there's less yeah. of an element of predictability about it. It's not so slow and plodding because he's not always working heel after that. So I think there there's an improvement. And it, I think the other shame is Triple H was such a workhorse during the Attitude Era. He was probably one of the best, if not the best wrestler in the Attitude Era. If we're talking like in-ring main event, the only other person that would probably compete, in my opinion, would be Kurt Angle. But... Um, God damn, what happened straight after that knee injury? Yeah, I think you're right. I was going to say, it, he had that great run, and then he started, his body broke down from having too much muscle mass or whatever it was, and he just slowed down a bit and developed a more methodical style, which mm. just didn't make for exciting dynamic matches. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, let's move on to something more positive. Um, what's your second choice to go to Wrestling Heaven? Well, I figure, as we've been referring to this already, let's talk more about WrestleMania 18. So, while I hate mm. the main event, one of my favourite matches of all time is Hollywood Hogan versus The Rock. This is simple wrestling done to its best. It's brilliantly done. I mean, if you the build-up to it was very simple in terms of the NWO and Hollywood Hulk Hogan being all evil heels, and The Rock simply says, you know, you're the biggest megastar of a generation. I'm the current biggest megastar. Do you want to go one-on-one and just have this match? It's pretty much that. It's, it's, it's a really simple setup, but it works so well because they are such huge, charismatic figures. And then they have the match. And I remember watching this, and it's just... If you ever want to see, like, again, we talked about how much commentators can mean to a match. This is one where the crowd makes the match so much better because it's that crazy, was it bizarro world, as they would call it, Canadian crowd, where, you know, we're meant to, we're meant to be booing Hulk Hogan and cheering The Rock. But there's, mm. a, there's a, no, we like Hulk Hogan. We appreciate everything he's done. He's never really come to Canada, if you think about it, and done a hill routine because WCW never went to Canada. So he's also got a little bit of a split there in terms of like just crowd, like live allegiance. And they just have this match. And they play off each other so well. Every little thing they do. It's not a very fancy match. It's just perfectly done in terms of playing to their characters. And accepting, actually, in the middle of the match, let's change it up. And actually, Rock starts acting more heelish because Hogan's acting more like a babyface. And they go with it based on the crowd reaction, and it works. Yeah, a sign of a good wrestler is one that can definitely feed off the crowd and understand how the crowd is feeling and then play to that strength and both Hollywood Hogan and The Rock do that terrifically. Um, I don't think there's been a better crowd at a wrestling show ever. Um, you know, even ones when they get excited in the, in the late 80s, the golden generation to, you know, CM Punk entrance against john cena to the rabid crowds of today at independent events like i don't think there is a single better crowd than that moment in toronto yeah. for that match and it is a dream match like i think it's safe to say there's only been one since then that's probably rivaled it uh which is rock versus john cena at 28 which is very similar passing of the torch um but this is so much better than rock john cena um I absolutely love this match. I don't love Hogan. I'm the first person to admit that, but you know, when when he's good, he is sure as hell entertaining. Yeah, and it's so well. I mean, if anything, the only mark on this match is the crowd is so hot and into it. When it kind of then tied into the match we just talked about, the that the main event followed it. This should have been the main event. That's where they they messed it up. Yeah, I think everyone. in the industry knows that i think everyone backstage in wwf in 2002 knew that um i think there's i think a lot of people are still stickler for traditions and not that vince mcmahon is uh when it comes to wrestlemania because there's been non-world title matches that have headlined uh before and after this uh but the biggest match should headline the match that means that most of the fans should headline um the reason why people are buying tickets should headline and 
I suspect the reason why people are buying the pay-per-view and buying the ticket is for Hulk Hogan and The Rock to collide, not because of Chris Jericho and Triple H. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so much fun watching. Hogan's act has never been complicated. You know what he's going to do, and he does it. And The Rock reacts. He's like, oh, my God, you're hulking up. I didn't think you'd do that. All the little things that you know are going to happen are there, but it's still fun. Yeah. You know, with it, Rock, the little things that they do, like Rock spits on Hogan's belt and whips him with it. Oh, yeah. Um, at the end of it, Hulk Hogan's being very humble and telling Rock to go pose, you know, showing defeated baby face. They do it. So, it's all the little things there, but I just love when I go back and watch it. And so much of it is just the facial reactions. Oh yeah, it's a simple storytelling, simple psychology. If you keep wrestling simple, people come and people will still watch it. You don't need every move under the sun. I mean, in last week's episode, I discussed with, or the last episode I discussed with Mike about Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude, and okay, the crowd's not as hot for that one, obviously, but you know, it was an enjoyable match because it kept it to its simple storytelling core, and people, all trainee wrestlers not that i'm a good example of that but all trainee wrestlers should watch hogan versus rock to see how you can control a crowd and no this is deserve this is a deserved entry if i may say so um shall we move on yes sure do you want heaven or hell uh let's do hell let's go hell heaven hell let's end on a high note with heaven so let's go hell well let's show the flip side of mr hogan so hell match for me and i think mike talked about this last week as well but i probably got a different angle on it. it would be hollywood hogan versus sting at wcw starcade 1997 oh hulk hogan sucks now uh uh Good flow. Um, yeah, we talked about this match uh, last week, but it would be good to get your take. Yeah, and I should probably, again, some context for this is um, this is in a time when I'm, I think I'm about 15 years old, and I'm at that stage where it's kind of like you can't really go out and start drinking, and you know, you're sort of like, you're sort of still at school type of thing, and you're like, so on a Friday night for me, it was okay, I can watch WCW nitro on tnt and i can watch wwf raw on sky sports on as well so we didn't have the monday night wars we had the friday night wars and i could watch both shows and that was kind of my my friday evening just watching those two and you know then getting up and doing my saturday job the next day so you know staying up late watching those um and i was i remember getting back into wrestling i'd been out of wrestling for a long time like a good few years you know when it was like you know from like early teens like three, let's say three or four years i've not been out to really watch wrestling and i remember catching a bit of tv and seeing this hill hulk hogan was now a hill and it blew my mind so i got in early in this nwo run and then being able to watch the sting storyline happen and him, the mysterious Sting, the crow in the shadows, and how well they played it, especially because I was a massive fan of the crow movie. So they played it so well for so long. We slowly got there, increasing that, you know, every week on Nitro, Sting would get start getting more physical with Hogan. We finally get to the match, 18 months in the making. This is the biggest show WCW has ever done. And we get to it, and it's so much built to this one match. And Sting is not ready for the match and Hogan has politicked to ruin the match and it just ruins like 18 months two years of hard work and it just rather than giving them something to springboard off of and go and beat WWF it's kind of a point of ooh, we're actually a bit bankrupt on the creative front and the wheels start coming off a little bit yeah it's it's even with its lackluster ending, um, which is just playing into the screw job, um, the Hulk Hogan wins clean but doesn't get the win. Just everything about that ending is bad, but before that, it was just boring. Uh, it's interesting you say that um, Sting wasn't ready. What do you mean by that? I'm, I'm curious. And I mean, I'm basing this on not knowing at the time, but because but when you go back and watch it, and you also read what other people have written, like Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan, obviously they have a bit of a bias for you. But when you go back and watch it, and you see, okay, he's that you realise he's not wrestled for 18 months, and he's looking okay, but he's not in ring shape. He's not mm. been doing the cardio. He's not as toned muscle-wise. He's not actually ready and able to perform at a high level in a big main event match he just has not had to 
you know, he could have maybe done some training at home, but it's not like he's been out to do house shows or anything. He's just not wrestled for 18 months while having the most lucrative run of his turns up. And that you can see that when they're doing the match, it's just, it's at half speed. It's not at the full speed, you know. And it's, I don't know, it's Sting trying to adjust to his new character compared to Surfer Sting, which was this ball of energy. But it doesn't get it right. And it's just slow. And I guess we go to the opposite of like, we just talked about Hogan and The Rock. They had they didn't do anything too fancy, but they knew how to play the characters and work the basics. Mm. This is almost the opposite. These are two really good characters, but the basics aren't working. Yeah. And, and at the same time, Hogan has somehow convinced everyone that Sting's not there, and there's that weird ending where it's meant to be a fast count and it's not, and then it's a convoluted thing that comes out and it's like it's just a mess the whole ending. But the match itself is. I was hoping we would get amazing here. I'm a Sting fan, and he's not doing anything to make me. He's be. Yeah, uh, I think I broke up slightly towards the end. Do you want to repeat that? Oh, did the record? Okay. Um, I was just saying that, you know, it's the whole the dullness of the match. Sting should be there throwing fireballs at Hulk Hogan in terms of figuratively. He should be like just a man possessed, and it's just dull and he gets beaten up for most of the match and you know to get a few of his spots in but there's no urgency there is no passion there that's why i think it's the, what really this is more going to the hell because of how disappointing the overall uh, you know conclusion of a long storyline is and it just leads to wcw having a mess of the belt being vacated and tournaments and just passing the belt around and losing their way yeah i mean I mean, I'm very guilty, guilty of fantasy rebooking even on the fly, just in my head. But I think the way I would have booked it is, A, make it like a no-holds-barred sort of stipulation uh, match. And then you could have Bret Hart come in. You could have you could have everything but the screw job angle. I would have WCW, like, getting their revenge on Hulk Hogan, you know, keeping away the NWO, something on those lines. Sure, it would be messy, but it would cover up for the fact that Sting's working at half speed. Hogan always works at half speed. And then you would add a story, and um, Sting would go over pretty cleanly, except Hogan would still take exception to it. Um, I think that's probably the best way to go about it. Um, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to create a good match with two wrestlers that aren't at the best of their game, to say the least, anyway, at this point. But, yeah, this is this is dire. It's just a, such a disappointment of everything that you were, you were enjoying about a company, and you're like, oh, uh, yeah, and then it just, I don't know, it's, just, it's like, that for me is like, oh, okay, I was enjoying the run, and after that, if I look back, it's like, you never quite got back there again. Yeah, damn shame. Anyway, shall we move on to your third heaven match? Sure. Well, I've just had a real go about WCW in 1997. Let's look at something they were doing right around the same time. Um, my third heaven match is Rey Mysterio. I think it was Rey Mysterio Jr. at the time mm. versus Eddie Guerrero from Halloween Havoc 97. Yep, the Halloween Havoc match for the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, why do you like? Why do you love this match so much? So one of the reasons I loved watching WCW Nitro back when I was a kid was that first hour, which was, and for those people who don't know, when Nitro became a three-hour show versus Raw's two-hour, the first hour was pretty much all exclusively about luchadors and the other cruiserweights. And it was the best hour of wrestling you'll ever, you'd ever see on TV at that point, unless, unless you were... A real hardcore fan, you knew how to get the good stuff in Japan and Mexico. You would never see this on, like, you know, it's in the US or in the UK. And you saw this mix of guys from Mexico and Japan, you know, from all around the world, mixing styles up, doing this great style. And even with all that going on, this match here with Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero is the real one where you realize, wow, that mm. is the most amazing series of high flying I've ever seen. Yeah, this match is if it's 12 minutes of just the cleanest luchador wrestling you'll ever see. With Eddie Guerrero working the heel style, like a heel American style too. Um, yeah, no, this match is near perfect from start to finish. It's 
it's just wonderful. Like Rey Mysterio, um, the way he just moves so effortlessly, there's very few wrestlers that can do that in the history of pro wrestling. Um, in fact, I think he's probably the best person to ever be a luchador, in my opinion, in terms of in-ring skill set. Just there's one spot that I absolutely adore. It's where he does a sunset, uh, not a sunset. He does a somersault over the top rope, and he hit, then hits a hurricanrana on Eddie, and it's just like, wow. Even to this day, like it's just like wow. So I can only imagine in the mid nineties. Uh, yeah. how they must have it felt to watch yeah like it's in- absolutely incredible and it feels ahead of its time even though it's not yeah and i think if you only know ray from the last let's say 10 years mm. you, i mean he's always been a good performer but you need to go back and see this like 90s ray mysterio to really appreciate what he could do he was a lot lighter as well and it's before he had numerous like operations on his knees and so on so he was you know at the peak his like athletic ability and it works because you can have two just luchadors flying around but eddie guerrero acts as this base for him to work off of and eddie is such a talented performer but it works so well and it's also it's not just this athletic match this storyline it's actually title like versus mask and eddie is such an evil heel during this he's trying to rip the mask off he's doing all the underhand tactics he can it's so amazing to watch and it made me think i was looking at my favorite matches and one of my favorite performers these days is will osprey and i was like i love will osprey but the reason like i've not put will osprey match in this heaven list is he didn't have the same storyline and world built around him but they'd established with ray and eddie which made this mean a lot more and while will osprey is ahead of his time and like you know the best performer in the world back then i think ray was doing you know the nearest you can imagine that back in the 90s just the stuff he was doing was like mind-blowing and it has character yeah i think yeah exactly and i think the other thing with this match in comparison say will osprey versus ricochet the infamous uh best of the super juniors match yeah in New Japan. that was on my list of, that was on my short list but it uh, lost to this yeah I, and i'm glad you picked this one because i understand why anybody likes will osprey versus ricochet i understand why people why there's fans that love will osprey and love ricochet and tremendous athleticism uh, Will Ospreay can tell stories as well. Like I think that does go unnoticed. But I think the difference between, say, what we have present day and what we had in the 90s with Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero, if I may say so, is, yeah, sure, there is flippy stuff, but it's flippy stuff with a purpose. You know, it's flippy stuff to create offense. It's not, it's not overdone. It's not... There's no, there's less no selling here. There is yeah. selling. Uh, it, it doesn't like, feel like Mysterio looks exhausted after the yeah. match. Of course he would be naturally, but you know he sells the exhaustion and the determination. Um, all the and, movement makes sense. It's not for show. It's mm, for offense. Exactly, and that's the difference. So I, I do take offense to the term flippy shit because it, it misses a point of luchador style wrestling, but. It's basically the difference between selling and creating offense over the complete lack of psychology that some matches have today. Um, but yeah, can we talk about Eddie Guerrero for a bit? Of course we can, Eddie. I know Eddie's your I think your favorite of all time, right? And uh, yeah, <laughs> he's and the, again, and you came into wrestling a bit later, so you didn't see this period Eddie in live and on TV like I was watching it. And being able to see these, he was like the leader of this whole division because mm. he was probably the more well-rounded overall performer in terms of working different styles and being, I guess, one of the slightly larger of the cruiserweight and the Mexican guys. So he was in a lot of great matches during this time period. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah, I mean, he's an amazing performer. Um, uh, like, I think the thing with Eddie Guerrero is he could be the most charming babyface, the most underdog babyface you could ever have, and he could also be the most despicable vile heel that you ever have. He can do comedy, he can do drama, he can do all the strength moves, he can do all the strikes, he can do the hardcore matches, he can do the luchador stuff, he can be a technical mass, technical magician. I think the reason why I absolutely adore Eddie Guerrero as a wrestler is purely because he can do everything. 
Uh, there's very few wrestlers that can. I think Chris Jericho is another example of that, you know, um, Eddie is a one of a kind talent. Uh, and I'm not saying that because he was a wrestler that brought me into pro wrestling per se, but, um, no, he, he was just an absolute amazing talent. And it's just such a damn shame. We didn't get more Eddie Guerrero matches. Damn shame. I never saw him live. That's just the one thing that will always bug me. You can trade in everything. If I would trade in everything for one Eddie Guerrero match, even that WrestleMania last year, I'd trade that in for one Eddie Guerrero match. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I, and I mean, to give you an idea, like, even like in these, I mean, we know how good Eddie is now, and you got into like in his, when he really got the main event pushing WWE. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to like 96, 97, Ric Flair was picking out Eddie Guerrero to have matches with on pay per view, even though, like, in theory, there was no way these two should be fighting. They're very different levels, and they were like lower card, pretty much headliner. But Ric Flair wanted to have matches with Eddie Guerrero because he could see how good he was, and Ric Flair just wanted to have that chance to wrestle someone at that level, you know, because he didn't get the chance to do it very often in WCW at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I think Eddie Guerrero, like the amount of times you hear like how he feels the crowd as well. It's it, you know Matt Hardy gave great examples. Bradshaw's given great examples. Bradshaw says the reason why that's the only reason why he was WWE champion was because of Eddie and made him look good um yeah just loads of people i remember a story of vince it's been it wasn't told by vince mcmahon but it was about vince just going yeah i finally got him i finally got him wait is that sport never mind i finally got him <laughs> it's like even vince mcmahon doesn't care about his size that's how talented he was and i think one thing that always bugs me about today is you talk about like these new lot of Hispanic wrestlers coming in like Andrade and um, Humberto and they say oh they're the next Eddie Guerrero Mysterio and I look at them and they're very good talents don't get me wrong I love Andrade for instance but they just don't have it like Eddie Guerrero did they don't have the underdog style that Rey Mysterio ever has uh, or the fluidity that, that Rey Mysterio has Rey Mysterio's fluidity is one of a kind so I'm glad you picked this out because I think this was an absolutely terrific uh, terrific bit of perfection that uh, WCW had and they were too stupid not to put it in the main event yeah. well if you, I guess you want me to go to my hell match now and I'm just thinking the perfect contrast of this versus my hell choice <laughs> you have two yeah. they're both awful yeah well i think there's one in particular i should go for so we just talked about how basically everyone listening should go back and watch this eddie guerrero versus Rey mysterio match if you've seen it before go back and watch it again if you've never seen it trust me you'll be amazed at what was going on in 1997 now if we say how perfect these two performers were together capturing that moment let's cut to the last year and let's look Let's look at Undertaker versus Goldberg at Super Showdown 2019 in Saudi Arabia. So, heads up, I've not watched this match purely because um, Saudi Arabia. Uh, so, uh, I have not actually seen the match in its entirety, so I can't honestly comment, but I have seen GIFs on the internet, and that's bad enough for me. So, Jason, yeah. take it away, explain this match. Yeah, I think the GIFs are probably the key moments. I mean, for me... I didn't mind the Saudi shows to begin with, and I'd give them a chance. And then I think, was, I don't know if they'd done that, but we were like two or three in, and you're like, wait, these shows are pointless, and the wrestling's actually, for some reason, not very good on them. And they're just bringing back, you know, big old stars. And in this one, it's Undertaker doing a big match against Bill Goldberg. They're probably getting paid loads of money to be there. And the reason I put this on my list is because for me, it was the whole, yeah, these Saudi Arabia shows are just completely bankrupt in terms of just morally and creative creative wise at the moment when you look at it and it's just a terrible match um we know at this point in undertaker's career he, he can be hit and miss he needs a good performer to be in there with bill goldberg is not a good performer he's perfectly fine if you keep him within his like you know small box of things that he can do but he just failed completely in this match and i know one of the issues is it seems like bill goldberg hits his head really hard early in the match on the um, turnbuckle and he's bleeding everywhere and he's knocked a bit silly so then he's a limited performer as it is and now he's an even more limited performer and just the whole match is like just it's just bad there's a terrible attempt at submissions um 
there's like the attempt at um, a tombstone but just falls over and doesn't work there's a jack camera where he nearly drops undertaker on his neck and because he can't get him up properly there's a terrible choke slam at the end and by the end of it the thing that i always remember is you look at it undertaker is sitting there in the ring and he's just looking disgusted with the match he's just had he's not in character you just look at his face and he's like that was terrible i feel dirty and so you should they accepted blood money. Uh, they know they're not good enough anymore. Uh, Goldberg has no regard for pro wrestling. Let's be honest. Um, you know, by one, by all accounts. One thing I'd forgotten about just on that you know, him having no regard. Um, Goldberg, he hadn't even bothered to shave. He just had his old man grey beard like stubble going on. I'm like, man, you really don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, you just look terrible. Uh, I mean, that's just looks, but you know, it's just. Yeah, it's just so. I mean, I, we could do an entire thing on Saudi Arabian shows and why they are just the worst. And you know, it, I think one factor you forget to mention is the the heat in. Yeah. Uh, I think it was is either jet or it's either way. It's it's Saudi Arabia. Wherever they go, they would say how amazingly hot it is, and it's hard to perform. Yeah, it's, it, that's ridiculous as well. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish I could have sympathy for Undertaker, but I really don't. He should have just retired at WrestleMania 33. Uh, I guess the paycheck was too big for him not to give up. Uh, not to give up, but uh, yeah, this. I mean, I never got Goldberg in the first place, but this is just pants. Yeah, I was. I was never a big Goldberg guy, and I saw I saw him, you know, building that streak, and it's like, oh, you're just like doing a big monster that's trying to be like your version of Steve Austin, but doesn't can't actually talk. You know, there was like there was clear what they would, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they he 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 could actually have a kind of okay match. It's like he had a great, he had not great, he had a good match with Diamond Dallas Page, where it was actually a well laid out match because DDP laid the whole match out but that's the only one that stands out other than that they were generally you know by the numbers you know he had his five things he could do and that was it and he couldn't even do those in this match because either the heat out of condition or knocking it off silly they just couldn't pull it together I think Undertaker's entrance is longer than the match and we've seen a lot of these matches now where with Goldberg and I guess Brock Lesnar where it's just and even when Ray just hit your big signature moves like you're a kid playing a video game and you started the match with five specials and that's all you can do and that's this is like a good example of that but they can't even do the special moves mm. correctly uh I wouldn't say that about I mean I understand the criticisms of Brock Lesnar but I would not put Brock Lesnar and Goldberg in the same category I think Lesnar is definitely oh, no. more varied and Lesnar oh, definitely understands the business when Goldberg I mean when Brock Lesnar wants doesn't want to do it, he would just do that kind of thing if we start the ricochet match that lasted 90 seconds but yeah he can definitely do like a good match with like we talk with finn but, balor and aj and so on but the ricochet match that lasted 90 seconds not to get two side trade right? i think that was just wwe's booking more than actually brock lesnar mm-hmm. i'm just gonna throw that out there but anyway um i'm a massive lesnar defender ladies and gentlemen so i do like I defend the Brock, so I'm not going to get sidetracked this time. Uh, yeah, take it versus Goldberg, definitely, um, definitely pants by uh, everything that I've heard, and uh, yeah, I, I guess it's worthy enough to go to hell. Um, yeah, it's just Saudi Arabia for you. So let's let's pick things up again with a nice old heaven. Yeah, nice slice of heaven. Um, John Cena versus CM Punk, WWE Money in the Bank, 2011. Oh, Mike will disagree with you. Yeah, so Mike put this into hell last week, didn't he? Which is interesting to listen to. I think he raised some good points. I just don't think the match itself deserves to go to hell because, yeah. you know, it's one of the most intriguing matches we'll ever see in our lifetime. Yeah, and I, I can Mike's argument last week was about what happened afterwards and how they just didn't follow through on things. But I look more at the lead up to the match and how invested I was at that time. You know, this was. The, I loved the pipe bomb promo. I know it probably seems cliched now in terms of loads of people trying to do similar things, but at the time that was a pretty cutting edge thing that they let CM Punk do, mm. and they did it at the time when he had the groundswell of you know fan love. People, were, the fans were behind him. You know, I was a fan of his. I saw, you know when he came through in ECW, I saw 
for him coming over to live events in the UK when they were doing ECW and how the crowd wanted to get behind him. They were building him up. They, you know, there was there was an, a love for him there, and the pipe bomb promo just sort of, you know, set him off on a completely other level. And then this match was really, really good. John Cena gets knocked a lot, but you know, big match. John turns it on when he needs to, and this is perfect. The crowd's there as well. You know, the crowd of Chicago is mental. I, w- I can go back and watch this match, you know, qu- quite often and just enjoy it. But it's a bit. There's a couple of months where it's almost a bit sloppy that it doesn't quite work, but it actually adds to the, the intensity of the match. And I'll accept that. Yeah, they maybe didn't follow up on it as well as they should have done, but in the moment, it's amazing. Yeah, I think the entire world was rooting for CM Punk, uh, except for it, uh, the Fruity Pebble fans. Um, that was the only thing I liked about Dwayne Johnson's uh, contribution at that time. Um, but yeah, this, for me, I like it's just, uh, it's a perfect blend of reality and storytelling. And, yeah, great point. Uh, and it's just, it's just awesome. The match itself is an awesome moment, let alone the conclusion and the intrigue surrounding it, the intrigue building up to it. I remember this time, um, I, I only recently, because I took about a year, 18 months out of wrestling, I watched the WrestleManias and that was it. Um, so I missed the entire Nexus thing, for example. Um, so I remember coming back to it just after WrestleMania 27. I'm just going, wow, this is really bad. But I had nothing better to do, and that's why I stopped What was going it. on around then? Um, <laughs> the Miz was WWE champion. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, R-Truth was one of the top heels because he just turned on John Morrison. And that's all I remember. Yeah, that's a ropey it, time. Yeah, it was it, it was. it was peak Cena wins lol. Uh, I remember that meme uh, from back in the day. But yeah, it was peak that time. And we were all clamoring for at least someone to be on the same level. Because Edge just retired. Batista left the year previous. Shawn Michaels just retired the year previous. Triple H is no longer full time. Um, I think Chris Jericho wasn't in the company at that point either. I think he was doing a Fozzy tour. So all these faces just left. And essentially it was John Cena and Randy Orton and they had to put Randy on SmackDown. So they, they had no one. The Miz wasn't the Miz as we know today. Uh, so CM Punk was there. They needed to elevate him. He was frustrated with the spot and he took advantage of it and fair deuce to him. Yeah. And I think the whole, like there wasn't just like the one pipe bomb promo that set things off. But then they had the back and forth for a few weeks of him, him and John Cena. You know, John Cena, you're not the, you know, you're, you're not the, Doug, you're, it wasn't, you're the Yankees. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. And, so and being that. from Boston as well, that's an offense. <laughs> yeah, he, so that's very offensive. <laughs> they played it well. CM Punk just coming out doing his, it's clobbering time, sort of, you know, finger in hand, and the crowd just. It, it's insane how they're into him. Um, I think John Cena, his best performances, you you talked about it earlier, him and The Rock, when the crowd's kind of like split on that one. And the other one that stands out for me of him is um, John Cena versus RVD at the first One Night Stand, where he keeps trying to throw his T-shirt into the crowd and they're throwing it back and just giving him the finger. And some performers would struggle with that. John Cena always seems to cope with it and work in a way that doesn't be, like betray that like, doesn't betray his character in a bad way doesn't you know sort of do anything bad in the way that John Cena should be but he, he sort of works within that world and stays being who he is but gives it enough of a look to people to show that yeah it's kind of affecting me but not he yeah. does it so well and yeah it's just I mean it's, just, it's some good matches there's, there's the whole the only thing slightly dodgy is I think the finish is a little bit, and I think we Mike talked about that last week as well, where you know John Cena, the, the outside interaction, you know, CM Punk gets the win. That's the only, the only sort of lets it down. Yeah, and uh, I think the fact that Punk never really beat Cena clean is still something that sticks in the craw of many fans. Um, I mean, he, Cena does put people over now, like he put AJ Styles over, for instance. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too like, oh, John Cena sucks. Yeah. Um, I think it works here because people forget that CM Punk was still the heel in this rivalry. Um, it's just 
you know, so is Vince McMahon. So I think it's one of the only times where a heel versus heel dynamic actually worked um, because of that blended reality and storyline. So whilst, yes, I agree that the finish wasn't the best, I think in this instance, it's fine in the context. I think you also end up forgetting about that a little bit because they have the money in the bank attempt to cash in by Alberto Rio, which doesn't work. And the thing you actually remember is CM Punk climbing out the barricade, blowing a kiss to Vince, and walking off through the crowd. Yeah, that was amazing. Oh, man. I watched that live, and it was just like, I remember being in my bedroom just going, holy shit, I have no one to talk about this with. <laughs> holy shit, yeah. this is amazing. Um, yeah, no, this is, this, is, this, uh, this is worthy as one being the best match and, of the past decade. And as as much as I enjoyed CM Punk's later run for the over the year that he held the world title and the stuff he got to do, for me, this is his peak moment. Yeah, I don't think anything. I mean, it, God, that would be a very hard moment to top, even with like all the amazing stuff that he did afterwards. Um, yeah, speak about a guy who deserved to main event WrestleMania. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that, that That's one guy, and uh, shame it will never happen. Anyway, um, anything you would like to add about CM Punk versus John Cena at Money in the Bank? I don't know. Again, it's one of those ones where if you doubt John Cena, especially if he's not around as much these years, it's one of those ones. That's that's the one I'd go back and watch. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Cena always gets criticised way too much. I, I get he was green in his early run, but he's a big match. John is always delivers, so you can't really complain. Anyway, final match to go to hell. Yeah, so, I mean, again, we're playing around with a strange finish and, like, stipulations that happen. So we're going from that one to another strange finish. Hulk Hogan versus Kevin Nash on WCW Nitro January 4th on 1999, also known as the Finger Poke of Doom. Oh, yeah, Finger Poke, Finger Poke of Doom. <laughs> it's a Fingle. Um, it's a new, it's a new uh, digit. Uh, the Finger Poke of Doom, one of the most iconic moments of WCW, to put it politely. Yeah, and I mean, if, I talked earlier about the whole the fact they dropped the ball so much with Hogan v Sting in at the end of '97, but we're talking about what 14 months, I guess. Maybe I'm trying to get the time, but around like 12, 14 months in between that and then this match where they were stumbling along. And this is the, kind of the nail in the coffin. And a bit of a don't know on the same show, this is when WCW had Tony Schiavone sort of announced, oh, don't bother going to, go to switching over to watch Raw. Um, Mick Foley is going to win their belt and he was a nobody here. And actually, loads of people switched over to watch it. And in on the other side of Nitro, their, their big match was to have Kevin Nash, who had just actually defeated Bill Goldberg to end the streak and as much as we may not like Bill Goldberg it was drawing money for WCW so they killed off the streak they had Kevin Nash win the belt and then they had him just get poked in the chest by Hulk Hogan to drop down get pinned to reunite NWO black and white and um, red and black combine it all together because we've run out of ideas we're going to just do the old NWO again and pretty much this is the end of WCW being competitive Yep, <laughs> I can't. I can't really disagree with any of that. It's um, it's. Uh, I mean, we can't it, really it, talk about you, the match. You, it's one you, move. <laughs> yeah, you can't really talk about the match. You... <sighs> and everything it stands for and means is why this is going to hell for me. It's just like yeah, yeah that's it. No, I, I mean, I totally agree. Like it's it. I mean, it's it's garbage. It's just everything that's it does it does uh summarize everything that's gone completely wrong with wcw at that point yeah. and and will go wrong uh to its uh, dying days um yeah this is just the epitome of awful i mean as much as we complain about WWE's booking at least on raw and smackdown in 2020 it sure as hell wasn't as bad as that. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's everything like going there. I was actually enjoying the NWO like red and black a bit as well when they had Sting and Nash and um God they even made Lex Luger seem cool. You know they were doing what they could there and it was, it was there was some little things happening, and then this happened and you're like oh right you really want to 
make Hulk Hogan your champion again and have the interview all around him. Didn't we do that for like a few years already? And it's and it's at this point where they've been messing around Bret Hart, flipping him babyface and heel. Um, yeah, and Sting, I think they were like teasing him going heel. There's all this stuff happening in the light. Uh, and the company still carried on, right, for a, was it a year or a year and a half, two years? But mm. it was just like this very harsh decline from this point. Yeah. Um... You can make a top 10 list of the worst WCW moments um, from 98 going for, from Starco 97 even going forward. And then you could still have enough to make nine more top 10 lists. There is so much wrong with the main event scene. It is awful, awful, awful. And... Yeah, this is what happens when you give too much, too many wrestlers creative control, and this is what I ultimately fear for AEW. Thankfully, none of that has come to fruition at all, uh, at least yet. Um, when you give too many wrestlers creative control, um, I do actually believe there should be like one or two showrunners, and uh, yeah, this is just a television thing. But my God, what on earth? I mean. Uh, they should they should have just fired Hulk Hogan already <laughs> yeah I mean there's not much more to say it's just like this is the sign of the end and yeah at this point or after this you won't see much from this point onward there's not much anyone ever goes back to WCW and says oh we should do like the best moments from this point onwards like great matches or great promos it's just a mess yeah yeah, at least we got WCW War Games 2000, Russo's Revenge. What a match. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, uh, Russo's a guilty pleasure of mine, but yeah, no, this is this is dog shit. Let's move on Let's to something positive. And uh, I got a feeling this might be common amongst uh, a lot of uh, British wrestling fans, but uh, what's your final match? Yeah, to the, my final one, yeah, I think I had to put this one in there. Bret Hart versus British Bulldog from SummerSlam 1992 at Wembley Stadium. Classic, classic, classic. I've already given my thoughts on this match in uh, last yeah. last episode, so go back and listen to that listener. But Jason, I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, and I think it'd be interesting. I think Mike selected this as well, and I think it'd be interesting if you do more of these with people from a different age and who are either from the UK or not with disappeared. Because I think anyone around my age who was like you know 10 years old when this match happened it's going to be in there just because of how much it meant i remember you know i was a big fan of both wrestlers huge fans of the bulldog of course you know um being 10 years old and having watched both of them for a few years and i remember the coverage this, this was getting because this was like in the newspaper and we were doing free sticker giveaways and all this kind of stuff to hype that SummerSlam was going to be at wembley stadium it was a big thing for us uk fans Americans may not understand that because they get big shows all the time. We'd had like touring WWF shows, but we'd never had a big pay-per-view like this where it was actually matches that mattered and had been advertised on TV for months. So there was so much going on there. And it was a big moment in terms of this is the first time for the British Bulldog to win a singles title because it's for the Intercontinental Championship. And it made it hard because you liked both guys so much, but... You know, everyone was generally going for the British Bulldog because he was our homegrown hero. And the match, you know, I think the match had been talked about so much. British Bulldog had apparently spent the summer smoking crack with Jim Nian with Neidhart and not really staying in shape. And then and turned up and was a bit of a mess. And Bret Hart, Bret Hart had to talk him through the match and make sure it all went well. They played out the family sort of um, storyline with Bret Hart being and Bulldog being like, you know, related through British Bulldog marrying Bret Hart's sister. Um, you know, they had Lennox Lewis lead British Bulldog out out there's the fireworks the pomp and circumstance of the whole thing and then the match itself is really good and at the time that finish it seems simple now just bulldog sitting down on a sunset flip and hook in the legs of bret hart i'd never seen that before it's a really cool finish as well and just yeah it's an amazing match for a, a british wrestling fan to watch yeah i think um Especially given the context as well of like Bulldog not being in the zone to say the least, I think it makes this match even more special. It's yeah. just, I mean, it's proof that Bret Hart was, you know, like I've always made the joke that oh, Bret Hart's a bit overrated because I don't think he was the most charismatic man or the uh, man that drew the most. But at the same time, there is no doubt in his in-ring ability for one second. He was an absolute technical 
magician. Yeah. He was, I mean, this was a masterclass on how to make sure someone got through a match. And Definitely. Made them look good at the same time. And, and this is Bulldog as well. He was a good wrestler, but he just was not in the zone for this match at all. Yeah, and it's funny, as a kid, obviously, I didn't know that but i think mm. now when you're a bit older you can go back and look at it and it shows bulldog was still able to hold up his end partly through muscle memory you know bret hart talked him through and bulldog could do it he just couldn't pull the match together himself in terms of like the structure so bret hart had to do all the work but bulldog could then be there and just do what's required of him to make it work the only the only downside of this is that bulldog's run with the belt only really lasted a couple of months before he dropped it to Shawn michaels when really you wanted to see this as a chance for him to have a longer reign with the belt but that that comes afterwards the moment itself for me as a fan at the time is why it's in there because you know i think you, you remember the things from your key youth period of watching wrestling and this is the one that stands out yeah i can imagine this was i, I mean i was only four months old i think when this uh when this match <laughs> happened that's how young i am ladies and gentlemen um so i can only imagine what it must have been like that SummerSlam coming over to this country and you know i remember being excited going to my first tv taping and uh, i think we're lucky to live in a world okay not right this second but we're lucky to live in the world that's so connected and it's cheap to go to the united states these days so if you did want to catch a major pay-per-view you can um but yeah, I think '92 must be something different, something incredible, and you know, yeah. for those fans as well, uh, to have a hometown hero win, which you know, yeah. WWE are very guilty of pulling that swerve again and again. I think it's just something special and something that, at least in British wrestling, will never be captured again. Yeah, and I think it just shows you 1992 for me, the Ric Flair winning the Royal Rumble, then. Bulldog beats Bret Hart at SummerSlam. That's like, wow, that's probably cemented my wrestling fandom for the rest of my life. Just that, those two moments when you look at it, when I'm looking at this list. And it's that, yeah, the SummerSlam match in particular. That's yeah. why it's on my heaven list. Yeah. My first match was Rob Van Dam versus Charlie Haas. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not the I'm first like... match you saw, right? That's just the one you remember. Like, I no, mean, no, that was, I... that was the first match I saw. Yeah, but, but what's the first match you loved that made you like, Fall in love uh, with wrestling. Save it, for, you save it for your episode where one of us asks you the questions. But you'll yeah, have a but, match like Bret Hart and Bulldog. But mate, do you think that's when I became this fan forever? It was actually more the promos. But yeah, we'll save that for another time. Um, but yeah, no, I worthy addition, uh, to say the least. So just to recap for the ladies and gentlemen, because I didn't do it for Mike last week. So um, I'll do it from now on. Ric Flair winning the 1992 Royal Rumble. Bret Hart versus... The British Bulldog at SummerSlam 92. Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, WCW, Halloween Havoc 97. Hollywood Hogan versus Rock, WWF WrestleMania 18, 2002. And John Cena versus CM Punk at Money in the Bank 2011 is your heaven list and your hell list. Sting versus Hulk Hogan at WCW Star K 97. Hulk Hogan versus Kevin Nash, WCW Nitro, uh, January 4th, 1999. Chris Jericho, Triple H at WrestleMania 18, Jerry Lawler versus Michael Cole at WrestleMania 27, and Taker versus Goldberg at Super Showdown 2019. That is your hell list. Thank you for sharing your heaven and hell today, Jason. No problem. Before we go, I should have said at the start, can I just make a point of reminding everyone, if you think I know something about wrestling, don't forget to check out the Women Love Wrestling book that I'm a part of. So just look for that on Amazon. So you can buy a copy and it's written by a load of really talented women and a few guys like me and all the money goes to charity and it's all about women and the history in professional wrestling so that's women love wrestling uh, yeah definitely worthy read uh i've checked it out you can also listen to a podcast uh, done a few weeks ago uh where i interviewed jason about the uh, book and it's definitely worth uh worth having a listen as well to get more of an in-depth insight about how it's created and how the writers felt anyway thank you for uh joining me today jason thank you for joining me today dear listener if you enjoyed the podcast then remember to like and subscribe uh drop a five-star review where possible and you can also follow us on social media at holy shoot pod on twitter holy shoot podcast on facebook uh we do have instagram uh some reason i can't access it so hold off if you want uh, <laughs> and that's the bottom line because this pod said so